friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. I want to talk with you about something that is uh, personal to me. I think uh, real and personal to us in this room as well. Anxiety. Specifically about how we can be about that work of overwhelming our overwhelming anxiety. We're talking about emotions in the last couple of weeks. You could summarize part of what we're learning with this simple phrase is that our devotion drives emotion. Basic idea is that our emotions they function they 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 function like a barometer. They function like a dial to tell us what's going on somewhere else. God didn't make our emotions to be this kind of thing that you can cut on and cut off. Our emotions are instinctive. They're just going to flow. So if we want another emotion, we actually have to go a little deeper. We have to go beyond. We have to talk about the devotion underneath that emotion. It's important for us to think about when we think about anxiety. We can also understand from some of what we looked at so far, this is, this is how our lives work. A few weeks ago, we talked about envy. Think about how devotion drives emotion when it comes to envy. We considered if you love popularity, if you love prestige, then you're likely to be envious of those who have more friends and more influence than you. But what's going on there? Well, the devotion, the love, it drove the emotion. It drove the experience. If you love thinking of yourself as a perfect mom, as a perfect homemaker, if that is where someone were to find their worth or identity, then you would envy other mothers who seem to be doing it better than you. If that's the love, well, that would be an emotion that you could experience that comes out of that devotion. If you worship the idea of being happily married or having a boyfriend or having a girlfriend or even falling in love, then you could be envious of those who have a boyfriend or girlfriend. You could always also be on the lookout for someone. This might be the relationship. That's another example to where the devotion drives the emotion. If you idolize family stability, you could be envious of those who look like they have better family dynamics than you. If you were to idolize having kids that behave, you could be envious of those that have kids that seem like they behave. The devotion drives the emotion. So the same is true when it comes to this, when it comes to our anxiety. Devotion drives emotion. Thinking about worry. We're thinking about anxiety. The English word worry comes from an old German word which means to strangle or to choke. It's the illustration of having a boa constrictor or sitting on your shoulders, slowly increasing its grip on your neck. Physiologically, it's even that feeling of that that warm pain that suddenly goes down the spine and then the sweat comes. And then we know something instinctive is kicking off inside of us that we can't control. 
because this is an instinctive thing that's coming over us. Psychologically, anxiety can be focused on general danger. It would be like Natalie being right up here and playing the Jaws theme music and living your life according to the Jaws theme music. Dun, 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 dun. Everywhere you go, dun, 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 dun. It's what it is. We know this. We make, we make light of it because it's easier to laugh than to cry, but like, this is real. We feel this. I know what it's like to walk around feeling that music and hearing other music. Physically, our anxiety is called stress, where our body's nervous system is triggered. We're ready to take flight or have a fight. That's why our body produces both adrenaline and endorphins to get us ready. But constantly living in a, straight, in a state of stress produces great danger to our body and to those around us. Body's not supposed to live always switched on and always turned up. That's where we burn out. Philosophically, Heidegger even talked about the angst of being thrown into the world without any rhyme or reason. Another way to understand anxiety. You could think of anxiety or this related worry and stress as a scale, a continuum. On a healthy end of it, there's, there's good anxiety, there's good stress. Good anxiety. Um, you could think of anxiety on this end of the spectrum as, as like an alarm. And alarms are good things. Alarms go off in the morning to get us up and get us going. Uh, alarms let us know that the, the, the cake is done with the bake. Alarms let us know it's been too much time on my phone. Alarms are good. Alarms are healthy. They get us up, they get us focused, and they get us moving to the next thing. And there's good anxiety. Even the Apostle Paul talked about he has a daily anxiety for all the churches. He has this good sense of burden, this good sense of responsibility that kind of leads him into the next task and leads him into the next task. If that's one end of the spectrum, what we even call positive anxiety, you could think well, there would be another end of the spectrum. And it would be the opposite. Whereas alarms are a good thing because they switch us on and they get us going, Anxiety, then, would be like living our lives in a state of alarm. Walking around with the, the, the alarm on your phone constantly going off. But worse than that, somehow it's in our minds and it's in our hearts. And we just can't get the music to die down. We're living life in a state of alarm. And all of us deal with this. If you find yourself on the extreme end of bad anxiety today, you need to know you're not alone because every single soul in this room, we are all on the continuum together and none of us stay in the same place on that continuum forever. And that's both good news and bad news across the room. We're gonna find ourselves moving through this. We're gonna find ourselves with healthy anxieties and we're gonna find ourselves with unhealthy anxieties. I don't think it's needed all the way, but we'll just press in just a little more, even right now, being able to identify what makes us anxious, what makes you worried. Some of it could be that this sermon might take a long time to talk about anxiety. <laughs> Studies have proven social media has a way of triggering our anxiety. Very practically, being alone, the future, being accepted by other people for who we really are, going to the doctor, not being able to go to the doctor, whether I'm living within God's purpose or I'm outside of God's purpose, losing control, being in control, all of these can trigger anxiety 
inside of us. Being able to find the right spouse, being stuck with your spouse, wanting kids, not having kids, these can all trigger anxiety inside of us. And emotion is rooted in our devotions. When you think about anxiety, we got to be talking about idolatry. Because sometimes we experience intense forms of anxiety because we've actually been wrapped up in an idolatry. The 5th century North African theologian Augustine had a very interesting take on anxiety. He said that all of us, we live our lives with good things and wanting good things. Wanting good things like good parents, a good spouse, good possessions, good job, good sex, and on and on and on it goes. And he said the thing is where the anxiety comes from. Whatever you're looking to or whatever you're looking forward to. He would say anxiety is actually smoke coming up from a flame, from something that's on fire, from something that's burning. We could even examine our own lives. And then we could look around and we could try to trace, however imperfectly, our varying anxieties as smoke signals coming down to something that's deep in our souls, that's on fire. And that is the object of our worship and our devotion. There's good news. Jesus, he welcomes our anxious hearts. He welcomes us. He doesn't look at us from afar and say, fix yourself before you come to me. Jesus welcomes our anxious hearts. Jesus welcomes our worried selves. Jesus welcomes us striving to be in control and feeling like we don't know what to do when we're in control. Jesus welcomes us. He welcomes us. So let's look to Jesus and let's think about Jesus. And as we do, I just want us to look in these two texts that David read for us so well. And we can see Jesus leading us and Jesus talking to us and Jesus helping us. And maybe in just a few minutes, we could feel our overwhelming anxiety becoming overwhelmed by Jesus. Because we don't need new emotions. We need new devotions. And if that's true, then that means in a matter of minutes, looking at Jesus, thinking about Jesus, depending on Jesus, leaning our souls onto Jesus, we could actually find ourselves into new emotions in a matter of minutes. Let's see if it works. The first thing we see in these texts of Scripture is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, and we see that Jesus names the fact of our worry and our anxiety. The context is important. We don't have time to talk about everything today, but we should at least note verses 19 to 24. Everyone's tempted to worry, and we try to shore up our worry by storing up a lot of cash. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus tells us not to busy ourselves with things. Jesus is saying, don't busy yourself by seeking after security. Don't busy yourself by seeking after money. He's saying, but seek after me and trust in me. That's the purpose of the therefore at the start of verse 25. He says, listen, you can't serve both God and money. Therefore, don't worry. That's what it's connected to. But we can think just in a general sense. Life is about more than food. Life is about more than clothing. Life is certainly about more than organization. And when worry comes our way, when that little strip of smoke starts to come up, it's a sign that something down there, something deep in here, 
is moving to be out of line. Jesus knows that we have a tendency to focus on food, to focus on security, to focus on our setup, to focus on our everyday needs. So he comes along to provide teaching. And in his teaching, he names the simple facts. Now, I've found a part of the Bible to be really encouraging to me on this is the story of Mary, Martha, and Jesus. Maybe you you remember it. Jesus comes over to these two ladies' homes, and Martha runs around the house doing a lot of things. Martha was anxious, and Martha was full of worry. But Mary is different. There's something about Mary. Mary sat down at the feet of Jesus, and Mary was simply with Jesus. And the difference between the two was so significant that Jesus had to actually go to Martha, and Jesus said, you were full of worry and anxiety. Sit down at my feet. We learn we can be full of worry and we can be full of anxiety where the king, even even Jesus himself, he comes and he's here and we have an opportunity to encounter him. And we can be so busy running around trying to make sure everything's just right. We can actually miss him who's right before us. Martha, what could she have been into? Maybe it was making sure the meal would have been good, making sure it was making sure the pillows on the couch looked like they were fluffed up and they're not all sunken in all the time as if Jesus wouldn't have known better. But Mary gets it. The object of her heart devotion was right in front of her so she could just sit down and be with Him. We run a risk of this even in church as well as some of us want this to be good and we want this to go well. We can be running around. We can be busy with so many other things instead of paying attention to Him. Jesus names the fact of our worry and anxiety. And then He does something that can be quite startling to see for the first time. The second thing we learn from this passage of Scripture is that then Jesus exposes the root of unbelief. I'm going to spend a minute on this one. But Jesus makes it explicitly clear that the root of our worry and our anxiety is a lack of faith in our Heavenly Father. And as that root of unbelief, as it becomes stronger and stronger, and as it leverages an upper hand in our hearts, a little strip of anxiety coming up will be the result. It's the basic battle that we all fight. It's the battle for belief or unbelief. It's the battle for faith or non-faith. This is ours. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says, he says we're in a battle for belief and unbelief. And if unbelief gets the upper hand in our hearts, the result there in Hebrews chapter 3 can be a hardening or an unwillingness in our hearts to repent and to embrace God's grace. Those who are truly born again will fight. They will persevere. Even if they spend a few weeks on the mat, if they spend a few weeks in bed, they will come through. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, He who calls you is faithful and He will do it. He will do it. John Piper provides some helpful perspective on anxiety. He says, think about how many other sins are connected to the root sin of anxiety. Anxiety about money will cause you to hoard or steal. Anxiety about succeeding will make you irritable and impatient with those around you. Anxiety about relationships will make you withdrawn and indifferent towards people around you. 
And anxiety about what other people think will make you either lie or stretch the truth. If anxiety could be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to many other sins. And it is a sin. It's a sin that we all struggle with. It's a sin we all deal with. We're not talking to one or four people today. We're talking to all of us today. We're talking to myself today. So when the author of Hebrews says, take heed lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief, it includes this idea, take heed lest there be in you an anxious heart of unbelief. Let's name it for what it is. We got to get all the way down if we're going to be able to go up. Anxiety is one of those evil conditions of the heart that comes from unbelief in God. So Jesus sees this. Jesus intends to welcome this. Jesus will go to the cross for this. So Jesus teaches on this. It's a battle, and it's a battle that we're all in. Unbelief is the essence and root of evil. And all of our sinning, it grows out of unbelief in the living God. And if we acknowledge it for how bad it is, Jesus can be seen as an even greater Savior, that He loved me there, he loves me when I continually give up faith in Him. When I continually struggle to believe in Him. He does. It's about how bad of sinners we are. It's about how needy and how desperate we are. And how great He is. How He is a wonderful Savior. How He is willing to love us so thoroughly and so completely. And how He will keep us to the end. And this is a battle. So for all of us, here today, hear the gracious offer from this king who names the issue and then he calls it for what it is. He says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are tired, all who are worn out from the burdens of this life, and I will give you rest. And this is big. It's called anxiety, an issue of unbelief. So let's press in. Let's dig a little deeper. Let's talk more about unbelief. Let's talk more about the body Spirit connection. Let's talk more about the assurance of salvation and we'll talk more about what to do with medication. Someone here probably hears this and you think this isn't good news today. This isn't good news that your tendency to worry, your tendency towards anxiety. Now, not everything on the spectrum, right? There's, there's good anxieties and then there's heavy, there's burdensome anxieties. We're not even here today to name, well, that one's a sin and that one's not. No, this is us in him. Imagine this. This might not feel like good news. It might not feel like a good thing to have to hear like this is actually a, a real wrestle of belief and unbelief. But this is actually really good news for us. Now let me illustrate why. Imagine you had an ache that was very deep in your stomach and no matter what the chemist gave you, it didn't deal with it. No matter whether you ate or stopped eating or drank or stopped drinking, you just couldn't do anything to really solve it. So one day you go to the doctor and you meet with the doctor and the doctor discovers something. What he discovers is bad. He discovers you have cancer in your small intestine. Now, is that a good news or is that bad news? Well, it depends on the perspective. It's certainly bad news in the sense that we walked into a situation not thinking we had cancer in the small intestine. But then it's actually good news as the doctor goes on to explain, this is actually really good that we caught it right now. I know this is bad. I know we need treatment. I know we need to work. But we can actually move to a really healthy place because we've actually caught it while it's early. We've actually caught it before it spreads. We've actually caught this issue before it becomes a much bigger issue. It's something like that. 
when we discover anxiety, it actually is a wrestling to believe in God continually and bring ourselves back into faith again and again and again. It's kind of like a doctor discovering something deep inside of us. Yeah, that's never good news, but the good news is we're actually catching it before it takes us over and takes us down. It's good news because now you know what you're involved with. You're involved in a spiritual battle. And it's good news because God offers the therapy of His Word and the therapy of His Spirit. Some of us, in our anxiety, we wrap ourselves up and we worry so much whether we're actually saved or not. We think about it and we look at ourselves in the mirror and we look at our lives and we just think about how everything is actually a bit of a mess. And we wonder, like, how could I ever be saved? If this is an issue of belief and unbelief, I know how much unbelief I'm carrying. How could I actually be saved? Let me give you good news even there. There's a difference between being faithless and there's a difference between having your faith attacked. Imagine you're in a race car and you're driving and your opponent doesn't want you to win, so your opponent slings a bunch of mud across your windscreen and for a few moments, you're in the race, you're driving, you're attacking, you're trying to win, you're trying to finish, but you can't see. Your vision is blurred. You can't tell what's in front of you. You can't tell what's behind you. You don't know if you've fallen behind or if you've moved ahead. And the idea there is the same. Swerving doesn't mean you're out of the race. Not being able to see for a matter of seconds or minutes doesn't mean you've quit and doesn't mean you've disqualified. It just means you're under attack. You're not able to see. You're not able to move. And in that moment, we know, even though the windscreen is blurred, I'm still on the track. And so it is with us when our faith comes under attack. So let me say this very specifically. When anxiety strikes, it does not mean that you are faithless. It means that your faith is being attacked in a real way. When anxiety strikes, it blurs our vision of God's glory and God's greatness and God's future for us. That does not mean... You have become faithless, and that does not mean that you won't make it to heaven. What it does mean is that you're under attack. So when you're anxious, you might, you might doubt that God is God. You might doubt that God is for you. You might doubt that God rose Jesus from the dead. But if we could carry even that struggle with belief into God's presence, we could see God is capable and He can take care of us. And like we've been learning week after week after week, what we do in these moments we actually have to sit ourselves down, be they depressed, be they envious, or be they anxious and full of worry, and we have to talk to ourselves. And we don't hype ourselves up, we don't look at ourselves and say, come on, you're greater than this, you're better than this. We sit ourselves down and we instruct ourselves with words like Psalm chapter 53, verse 6, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And we put ourselves before that word and we stare at that word and we believe in that word and we trust in the one in whom that word points until it comforts our hearts. And then we bring our souls to another place and we sit ourselves down before God's word and we remember truths like this, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We bring our anxious selves to God's word and we work God's Word into our hearts. And the anxiety will go down. 
Because emotions, they come from our devotions. And when we rekindle the embers of our faith, surely the emotions will redirect and flow. So we fight our anxiety by fighting against the sin of unbelief. We fight our anxiety by fighting for faith and we fight by trusting in God's promises. So when we're anxious, we go to God's promises that God has made to us. We see how he's answered them in Jesus and we choose to believe still. And we come to see faith and the Spirit. They become like the windscreen wiper to move away the blood, to move away to the mud, and to help us see we were in the race all along. So pastorally, even a word on medication, it's important that we just talk practically in the midst of these things. Worry and anxiety, it is a sin. It is again a sin against the God who is all-powerful, who is all-loving, who is all-caring, ever-assisting and all-providing. And we all deal with this sin. We all struggle. There's no human on the planet outside of Jesus who doesn't struggle with this. All of us are flawed. If we were perfect, then we would be anxiety-free. And there's a promise that a day is coming when we will be anxiety-free, but we're not there yet. We have the hope that in the meantime, over the next decade and the next decade and the next decade, we might find ourselves moving along the continuum to where anxiety bothers us less and less than it did 10 years ago and 10 years before that. But we're a church, we're a family on this journey together trusting that God is going to move us down this continuum over time. So hear this. There is a continuum. Some of us today are on a more extreme end, and some of us today are on the other end, but we're all on it together. And the physical brain and the spiritual soul are interdependent in ways that we cannot fully see. This means that there are always means and strategies for taking care of our physical bodies that will help our spiritual souls. And there are ways of helping our spiritual souls that will help unlock our physical bodies. And this isn't some modern stuff today. Like we could do sermons on the Puritans, many of which lived in this town. And when you read these guys, these incredibly spiritual men, they had strategies that they talked about in their books about how to take care of their physical bodies so that their hearts could connect with God. So it would only be practical for us to be open to this as a community, that we can actually affect our souls positive and negatively by what we eat and what we drink and how we sleep. Whether it's light outside for the last week, thank you, God. Or whether it's dark and stormy. Whether we have light or not, how our circadian rhythms are flowing. Who we get to see, who we don't get to see the sounds of outside of our windows, whether you wake up to a few birds chirping at each other, you wake up to the lorries smashing against each other. The time of year we're in, and whether you're in a pandemic or not, all of these affect our spiritual condition. So we can conclude there are cases then which require special physical efforts, including medication, that can provide a kind of equilibrium where the more natural strategies may avail and have their best effects in us and on us. In other words, medication then may bring us to the point where we can then be availed more effectively of the God-given natural strategies of experiencing the peace of God in our lives. From personal experience, 
I know what it's like to become so jammed up in my soul that my physical body gets jammed up as well. And also know what it's like to become so jammed up in my body that my soul then gets tight and needs to be unwound again. Come talk with me. I'll talk with you about one thing that was back in my university years and another thing during the pandemic and another thing later in the pandemic, and I can share personal experience with you. But you're not alone. We're not alone. We all struggle with this sin. And we all need to be doing the things we need based on where we are on the spectrum to have ourselves availed where God's rhythms and routines can come into us. In conclusion, God has provided lots of spiritual strategies to help us trust His promises. And God has provided lots of physical strategies, including modern medicine, to help us find balance for our souls. Number three, and that was the longest point. Jesus explains a few reasons to trust Him. With all of this in view, maybe even now we can just kind of hear Him a little more clearly. Look at verse 26. He's given us reasons to trust Him. You wake up, you hear a few birds chirping, you go on a walk later today or tomorrow, you see some birds in the sky. Jesus draws your attention to those birds. Think about them. They neither sow, they they reap, they don't gather into birds, yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Birds don't spend much time worrying about saving, yet they never seem to lack because God cares for birds. Second, He brings us to the wildflowers, brings us to the lilies of the field. Verse 28, they don't labor, they don't spin thread. Yet even Solomon, and that guy was decked out, Solomon never looked like one of them. Flowers don't spend much time worrying. They don't have to do a lot to get pretty, but they're beautiful because God has ordained them. God has adorned them. The point is that we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to strive when we have God. He's not saying don't try. He's not saying don't go to work. He's not saying don't apply yourself. He's saying just don't worry about it. So Jesus uses words, and we need to carry these words with us. He says look. He says consider. He says ponder. And if you're into the language, these aren't passive activities He invites you to. These are active strategies that He hands over to you. So when you just listen to your heart run off at its mouth, no wonder we get anxious. Our thoughts are important, but they're not the most important things about us. So listening to our hearts sometimes is what actually brings us anxiety. Jesus says talking to the heart is what can settle anxiety. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves. And we have to even practically illustrate for ourselves what this looks like. Fourthly then, Jesus invites us to worry less by trusting Him more. This is what the whole passage is headed to down in verses 33 and 34. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus invites us to do something else first because it's an issue of primacy. It's an issue of devotion. It's an issue of what comes first in our hearts. Because our devotions, they'll drive our emotions. And Jesus knows better than to look at you and me with our instinctive emotions and to tell us to stop it or to knock it off. It won't do any good. What we have to do is we have to get beneath the issue. We have to get deep into the engine from which that dial is reporting. We have to get into it. 
And as we get into it, we find ourselves with an opportunity to trust God more than we did before. So when you add it up and you look throughout this chapter of Scripture, we see it comes down to something in summary. Think of it like this. This is where anxiety is a fool. Anxiety is a fraud. Anxiety is not out for us in its most negative sense. Anxiety runs around thinking too little of God. It's faith that can see God in the impossible, in the impossible relationship, in the impossible circumstance, in the impossible situation. Anxiety runs around thinking too little of God. God won't help me. God doesn't care. God cares about other parts of my life. God doesn't care about this part of my life. And anxiety runs around thinking too little of God. But then anxiety has a negative effect on each one of us. Anxiety then minimizes how much God thinks of you. On one extreme, we don't think God's capable of taking care of us, but then we don't go far enough in thinking like God actually loves us. So we actually have to go to the flowers. We have to go to the birds. We have to think about how God's put this world together. But when you add those two up, you get to a place where you're able to realize anxiety is a false prophet in its extreme sense. An alarm is good, but living according to an alarm is bad. And anxiety, this extreme sense of not thinking big enough thoughts about God and thinking that God thinks too little of you, well, that's a false prophet. That's not true. And then Jesus drives us through the New Testament over to a man named Paul who was able to share with us in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, the key then, how to have the emotions of our hearts turned over by what we do with our devotions. That's what Jesus offers us. Jesus offers to change the emotions of our hearts through our hearts' devotions. And I love Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Specifically looking at these two verses right here, what we see is, It's this offer of peace. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think that peace is what we're looking for when we're anxious. We just want the waves of doubt to stop. We just want the situation to quit changing. And here comes Paul, a man who knew great difficulty, a man who in his life, he didn't have much going his way, and yet he was tapped into an inner calm and an inner equilibrium that no matter what came his way, lots came his way, he could be steady. Little came his way, he could be steady. Travel plans working out, steady. Shipwrecked three times, steady. He knew something about this peace. What he does in this passage is he leads us about how to go about instructing our souls with thinking and with thinking and with loving. And Paul drills down and he shows us it's about thinking. Verse 8, think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. Drill down on this, mull on this, bring it home. Thanking in verse 6, do not be anxious, but make your request be made known to God with thanksgiving. So we can even thank God. We can even thank God for answering our situation because He knows what's best for us and He goes down to loving. First two have to do with the mind. The third has to do with the heart. 
with love. When you think about it, of all the places in the world we could anchor down and we could put our devotion, God is the only one that's safe. Place our identity and our worth and our looks and appearance, it's guaranteed to change. Place our, our hope and our security in a specific person or in a specific relationship, well, it's all going to have its seasons and they're likely to change. Place our identity and our self-worth and how well we relate to our spouse or how well we're connected to a friend. We're fickle. We're going to let each other down. We're going to disappoint each other. God and God alone is the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. And God will not withhold His love from you if you will not withhold your love from Him. So it comes down to prayer, to sitting with God, to trusting in God. And we trust Him until our hearts begin to treasure Him again. And prayer becomes the cure for anxiety. As we pray our way through the park, we see a bird without stopping, pausing, and bowing over. We remind our souls, you're worth more than that little bird to God. And you walk, and you see green grass, and you just remind your soul in between chats with a friend, God loves you more than that grass soul. And you see the little flowers coming up, and you say to your soul, you matter more to God than those beautiful flowers, soul. And as we live a life like this, praying our way to God, praying our way into confidence and belief again, we find ourselves believing in God more and more. And our anxieties, they begin to pale again, thankfully. John Newton said, if you understood the loving kindness of God to you, then you would live your life with a net of protection around you. And if we really understood, and if we could keep it at the forefront of our minds, the loving kindness of God towards me, then in every situation we go into, we could find ourselves starting to think things like this. Oh, that made its way through the net. There's no way God let this come into my life and come into my situation if He wasn't for me and He didn't have a way of working this out for good. Romans 8, 28. And then, other things we just wish would come into the net. Maybe we're walking through life surrounded by this net of loving kindness. We're even calling some things into the net. Hey, come on, I'm here. And God keeps some stuff outside the net. Then we can even go through those situations knowing my loving Father knows that is not necessary for me. And we can go through life knowing that we're surrounded by the loving kindness of God. Not anticipating the worst to come our way, but believing that he's with us and he's for us. So Natalie, come on. We need to worship. What is this peace of God that Paul talks about in Philippians 4? It's better than marriage. This peace of God is better than financial sustainability. This peace of God is better than a new friend and it's better than reconnecting with an old friend. This peace of God is the God of peace. It's a deliberate play on words that the author takes us through. And so many times in our anxiety and in our sin, we look around just wishing, I just wish I had that. 
I wish that was different. I wish that would change. I wish that would come back. And what we actually don't need is a change of situations. We don't need the peace of God in our situation. We need the God of peace. And anxiety plays tricks on us. Our anxiety, it makes us worry about the thousands of things that are potential when God has agreed to actually be present with us in the one or two things that are actual. And God says, this is where I'm going to meet with you and this is where I'm going to be with you. So what do we do with our anxiety? We pray. And we pray as we walk. We pray as we sing. We pray as we sit with God's Word open in our laps. And we pray. How would your life change if you became to more actively believe and think the God of the universe was with you? He was totally at peace with you because of the work of the cross. And He was at work with you in your net, working everything out for your good. It would change everything. And that's what the God of peace offers to do. Charles Spurgeon rightfully said, anxiety then, it doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. Anxiety comes along and all it does is it empties today of its strength. Tomorrow's gonna be enough. Today is the day where God has agreed to meet with us, where God is available to be with us. And when it comes to the assurance of salvation, some of us, even in our anxiety, we wrestle with believing whether we're actually saved and we're actually loved because we're giving ourselves way too much credit. When you think about it, the reason many of us doubt our salvation is because we think we play too big of a role in it. What makes you a Christian is what Jesus has done for you. What makes you a Christian is the fact that He went to the cross that he willingly laid down his life and he allowed his body and his whole world to become ripped wide open so that we could get in. And we sit around and we wrestle thinking, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? We listen to the words from that beautiful hymn, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. All there is for you to do today is to stand in him and in him alone, gloriously complete. God is utterly committed to us. The Bible is the story that proves this. So I conclude with this. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16. Can a mother, on Mothering Weekend, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion for the child whom she's born? Has that ever happened? It's like, well, no, surely moms are going to look after the kids. And this is the word of God. Though she might forget, I will never forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. This is what Easter is about. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So allow Spurgeon to speak to you. Listen to the voice of the Lord speak. The Lord says, I will help you. And here's good news for us in our anxiety today. It is a small thing for Him to help us. Consider what I've already done. What? Not help you? I've bought you with my blood. What? Not help you? I've died for you. Since I have done the greater, will I not also do the lesser things for you? 
you are loved in a thorough way by God, your Father. He welcomes your anxiety. He welcomes your worry. It was part of what he had in view when he went to the cross. And when you think about the cross, and when you look to the cross, and also when you notice the grass and the birds and the lilies in the week ahead, you can know if he's done the greater, he cares for every detail of my life and he will be with me and he will walk with me and he will give me everything I need to get through. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need your help. In our hearts, God, we need your help. And God, we thank you that you have already done the clearest, largest, grandest, most wonderful display of your help towards us. You have already sent your son to the cross to save us from all our sins. Father, we pray, would you give us faith to believe in him? Even as we sit here and we have a few more minutes to pray and now to sing, would you cause faith to rise inside of us? And would we feel the overwhelming feeling of our anxiety becoming overwhelmed by your love for us? How you did not spare your son. Help us to bring this home. If you've given us him, then surely you'll be good to take care of every other need that we face. Comfort us with this truth, God. We ask for your glory and in our good, in the good name of Jesus. Amen.